Welcome to the Women in North American Aquaculture podcast, where we talk to influential women about their experiences in research, entrepreneurship, innovation, and mentorship in the aquaculture industry. My name is Marian Farag, and I'm the editor of Aquaculture North America. I'm especially excited for this episode because guess what? It's an in-person interview. In a world where Zoom's taking over, it just feels so special now to be able to sit down with people and talk in person. This episode, I sat down with Debbie Plouffe, co-founder and associate vice president of business development for the Center for Aquaculture Technologies, a full-service contract R&D company which develops customized solutions to improve productivity, efficiency, and sustainability in the aquaculture industry. I want to go straight into the interview, so I'd like to thank our program sponsor, Merck Animal Health. Together, we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species. Now, please enjoy the Women in North American Aquaculture podcast with Debbie Plouffe. We're here at Aquaculture Canada and Was North America 2022 in St. John's, Newfoundland. And I'm sitting here with Debbie Plouffe, Vice President of Business Development at the Center for Aquaculture Technologies. Debbie, it's really good to be here with you today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I just want to document that this is my first in-person aquaculture industry event to attend. And it's also my first in-person interview to do. So I'm very hyped for our conversation together today. Awesome. <laughs> okay, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and like your background and your expertise? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I grew up in uh, just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, so it's in the prairie part of Canada. Um, I went and did all of my um, education um, in Alberta at the University of Alberta. So I have an undergraduate degree and a PhD in cell biology um, from the biology department at the U of A. And after that, you know, that that thesis, that work um, really involved um, trying to understand fish immunity and how fish respond to pathogens. And I was really, really interested in continuing in that line of work. Um, but, you know, when you finish your PhD, you kind of come to a crossroads about, you know, where you want to continue your career and in what kind of path do you want to go? You know, you have an academic option. You know, do you want to continue to, you know, be involved in academia and doing basic research in that area? Or, you know, you also have the option of taking more of an industry tack, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want to go and work in more applied research, um, which is not necessarily, you know, I'm going to go and publish a zillion papers, but I'm going to go and work on, you know, industry problems and apply my knowledge in, in, in that field. And so that's the, the tack that I decided to take. I was really very interested in doing research that um, had made a difference and had a practical outcome at the end that I could mm-hmm. see. So... Um, I ended up, on, that's how I ended up on the east coast of Canada in Halifax, where I did my postdoc um, at the Natural, National Research Council, and I worked in um, vaccine development for Atlantic salmon, and that's really where I got much more closely tied to the aquaculture industry and understanding how that works. Um, at an academic level in a landlocked province, you don't, you don't really have a good sense of, of how the industry works necessarily. So, you know, that was really my first um, experience with, with the industry. And from there, you know, I had the opportunity to um, apply for a position with Aquabounty Canada, which is based on Prince Edward Island. And so I was offered that job um, in 2000 and 
seven, I believe. Mm-hmm. So that was my first, you know, real job as a scientist um, in the industry and at such a cool company working on, you know, trying to commercialize the first you know, gene transgenic food animal for human consumption. And it was just really exciting. And I had such a great exposure there to different fields within aquaculture, genetics, health, nutrition, um, and also, you know, regulatory. And how do we think about regulation of products of biotechnology in aquaculture? That's very interesting. I want to go a little bit back in time and ask you, like, what drew you to, like, studying uh, or having a career in the aquaculture industry, or like you said, uh, you studied marine biology as an undergrad, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. You like know, as a kid, were you exposed <laughs> yeah. to any of that? No, or? I wasn't, and I don't know, you know, how I ended up. I really love biology, okay. um, and I was really good at biology. And you know, going into university, I really thought. I didn't have a, a ton of family members who had gone to university before. You know, they'd gone to college. Um, gun diplomas, but I didn't have a lot of um, immediate family who had been to university before. So, that, you know, I just sort of figure that all out. And I was really interested in marine biology, which was hilarious because when I went to go see my, you know, advisor, my undergraduate advisor, he said, well, you live in Alberta. <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of oceans around you. Mm-hmm. But he said, don't despair. There's, um, you know, courses you can take through affiliations with institutions on the West Coast, for example. So I did a lot of that in my undergrad. And actually, by the end of it, I came out and I realized that I really didn't want to be a marine biologist. You know, they said, look, you know, it's tough. It's hard to get a job. There's not a lot of jobs in this. And so I said, OK, but I, I did really like Um, learning about health and, um, you know, I had great professors and mentors throughout my university career who said, look, you know, these are your skills. These are things you're very good at, you know, come and work in my lab. And and that's when I got hooked into research. And um, that lab happened to be doing research in fish, fish health and understanding how fish immunology works. And it's really cool to try and figure out how does the immune system interact with different kinds of pathogens. And I really was drawn to that. And, you know, the practical application of that, of course, is, you know, use producing fish for food. And so without a whole lot of direct experience with the industry, you know, you just know that that that's where that research can be applied most mm-hmm. easily. And, and so that's how I ended up there. And I honestly thought, you know, I'd really like to go work for a vaccine company or something like that. That's where I thought I would end up, to be honest with you. But yeah, you never work know. Out that way. Mm-hmm. You never know what life is holding for you, right? It's kind of mm-hmm. you never know what's next. And you said that you didn't like uh, your first, uh, like your transition to the aquaculture industry, or like how you got there when you started with Aqua Bounty. Were you thinking mm-hmm. about that when you were? like doing your research on pathogens and stuff like that? Or? No, 100% not. I didn't even know about them. <laughs> no, I really thought, I really thought, you know, I'm going to end up, you know, building vaccines and health products yeah. and things like that. And that's really where I thought that I would end up. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm still really fortunate to count a lot of those organizations and companies that do that kind of work in my network. And I'm still, with the work that we do now, you know, related to that in a way. Um, and it, it, it almost ended up, better than I, you know, could have planned for myself. So, yeah, that's you know, great. I, I guess I think that, you know, you need to look for opportunities wherever they might be. And, you know, you can evaluate them at the time and you make the best decision you can with the info that you have at the exactly. time. And, and you just have some faith, I guess, that yeah. it's going to Even if out. it's not the thing you expected to do, but right here you go. There you go. Like, you're, well, you don't know what you mm-hmm. don't know. Right. So. Exactly. 
and uh, uh, focusing a little bit on the Center for Aquaculture Technologies. You offer genotyping services and breeding and genomics services. Can you tell us, tell us a little bit about uh, what these services are? So at the Center for Aquaculture Technologies, you know, we really work in three areas, and, and genetics is just one of those. You know, health and nutrition are the other areas. But where I spend most of my time right now is in, in the genetics side. And so you know, the opportunity that we have in aquaculture is, is to really look at how we can improve you know, productivity, efficiency, sustainability of the industry through improving you know, the genetic background of the animals that we're producing. So this is very common, and we've been doing it for hundreds of years in terrestrial agricultural species. So chickens, pigs, cows, we've been you know, applying these breeding techniques for forever. Um, but it's really, on a relative scale, new in aquaculture. And we grow so many different types of species of aquatic animals, plants, um, you know, the, the opportunity in front of us to improve the genetics of those is just massive. Um, you know, it's been pretty rigorously applied at this point in, in some of the, you know, the bigger volume, bigger value species, salmon, shrimp, tilapia. It's very common to see, you know, genetic improvement. But we have a number of other species that are up and coming, you know, in shellfish, in marine finfish, where this is still relatively, you know, new ground. And so what we do at CAT is really work with those companies to help them develop programs, um, the tools that they need, the genotyping tools that they're going to need to make those programs um, more efficient and, and to deliver value more quickly. Um, and, you know, we're beyond that, we're looking into, you know, what are the next innovations in genetic improvement and, and how can we work to bring those to the industry? And what is something specific you're working on right now? Yeah, I mean, I think the most exciting thing we're working on at the moment is um, our research in the use of genome editing and genome editing technologies and how we can apply that to aquatic species. So, you know, we've got a really talented team of researchers based in our facilities in San Diego that have been working for decades and trying to understand, you know, how we can use genome editing first and foremost to um, introduce uh, uh, the trait of sterility um, into aquatic species. So what that means is, you know, we're very interested in making the, the fish reproductively sterile, and there's a number of benefits and reasons that you want to do that. Most of the time, fish that are um, reproductively sterile um, will grow better, faster. Um, the quality of the edible parts of the animal <laughs> that you get at the end um, is usually higher, um, and it, it solves a, a number of other problems that we sometimes see in production. So. You know, beyond that and, and the benefits that sterility itself brings to production, you know, we see the opportunity for the application of genome editing in aquatic species to be massive. Um, there's other traits, you know, disease resistance, yield, pigmentation, mm -hmm. you know, uh, there's a laundry list of other traits that we're interested in introducing using genome editing. And, you know, our view is that in order for genome editing to be deployed in a responsible manner, the animals should first be made sterile um, because that reduces a lot of the risks that are associated with potential escape um, of the edited animals. It enables you to you know, have better control over your genetics, et cetera. So from our perspective, in our view, you know, we feel that sterility is the first trait that you should have um, before introducing additional traits using genome editing technology. And do you mind me asking, like, how, how do you do that? Like, what's the process for 
achieving sterility. Yeah, well, it's an interesting paradox because <laughs> you want to make the fish sterile, but you also want to make a lot of fish. So how yeah. does that work? Um, so we've done a lot of research into trying to understand how to do that and especially how to deploy that at a commercial level in an existing commercial breeding program. These are well-run but relatively complicated machines. So you have to figure out, okay, how do I introduce this new trait using this you know, new precision technology in a cost-effective and an efficient way? So we've developed a number of other tools and technologies and procedures that um, will enable us to um, introduce that trait in that way. And, you know, it's probably not the place to get into the the complicated technical details of it, but suffice it to say that we've solved that problem. And, you know, at this point, we're, we're looking to demonstrate the technology and the way it will work in a commercial scale. Are there any other, like, issues you're facing in this specific project? Yeah, I mean, I think the most challenging, well, there's probably two challenging areas that we are are going to need to overcome in order to, you know, make genome editing in aquatic species a commercial reality. So the first one is social license. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, you know, genome editing is different from, you know, using transgenic technology or other types of, you know, genetic engineering in that you have the opportunity to make an edit within a gene um, without introducing any new genetic material. So, you know, in that way, it mimics what happens naturally um, when we select for variations in the types of, you know, in the, in the characteristics that we see in an animal, we're really selecting for a mutation um, in a gene somewhere in the animal's genome. Using genome editing technology, we're able to do the exact same thing in a very precise way in a shorter amount of time. So in reality, it's not different from what we do when we use traditional selective breeding techniques. However, you know, it's complicated for the average person out there to understand that that difference. And so it's still um, somewhat of a controversial technology in terms of, you know, is it classified as a genetically modified organism or not? Mm -hmm. And, you know, depending on where you live in the world, there's more or less, you know, tolerance and social license for using biotechnology in food production. So, you know, we've got that to contend with um, because, you know, we're out there trying to, to convince producers that this is technology that they should use, but of course they have to be able to sell the product at the end of the day. And if the market is not ready for it or does not understand it, or is not willing to buy it, it's going to be a non-starter. So, you know, that's something that we have to work on and we play a role in, you know, educating not just our, our clients and our partners, but, you know, the end users about how that works. And at the end of the day, you know, I think it's going to come down to what traits that you select. So mm-hmm. what traits do you want to introduce using this technology? You know, and I think those are going to have to be traits that are important, not just for the producers, but also for the consumers. So they're going to be traits that improve sustainability, that improve animal welfare. You know, those are the, those are the traits that I think are going to likely have the most success. Mm-hmm. And then the other hurdle that we have to overcome is the... Um, regulatory hurdle. So how will products of biotechnology, this this particular biotechnology, genome editing, how will that be regulated? And it's different depending on which geography that you are in, what country that you live in. So we know that there are already some countries who have, you know, aligned themselves with the idea that products of genome editing in which no new DNA has been added are not different from, you know, traditionally selectively bred 
mm-hmm. um, animals. The, the, the process is the same, the end result is the same. But then there are other geographies that, that still would classify products of genome editing as a GMO, and, and they're either not allowed at all, or there's a very long, lengthy regulatory process that you have to go through. So you know we're spending quite a lot of time understanding what that process is um, in different countries, um, mm-hmm. and not just what the process is if you are producing that animal in that country, but if you are importing that product, so maybe you're not growing it in your country, but it's being imported from you know, mm-hmm. Brazil into the United States or from Chile into the United States or something like that. You know, how does that, how does that work? So we're spending quite a lot of time um, trying to sort that out at the moment. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't think it's an insurmountable challenge, but it's something that we have to work on and, yeah. and, and get comfortable with. At least uh, what you mentioned before this, like the first challenge uh, it's like the goal is to raise awareness and educate like like partners um, uh, clients or even like the general public about it and uh, about how like the like the controversy that surrounds it like whether it's GMO or that kind of thing mm-hmm. so um, what do you think is the best way to raise awareness about this like you said you were trying to educate but how do you do that exactly <laughs> yeah I yeah, know it's <laughs> It's a challenge. And one of, the thing I'll, one of the things I'll say is really nice that I've experienced so far, products of genome editing, plant products of genome editing exist in the market today. They're mm-hmm. all over the place. So it's already and there. It is in the plant yeah. world. So there's a lot of crops. Canola, for yeah. example, there's genome edited canola out there mm-hmm. in the market in Canada right now, for example. But there are not yet... Or there are very few products, animal products in genome editing. So what's really nice is that the actual animal, you know, agricultural community is, is working together in this, as far as I can tell. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's agnostic as to what species that you're growing. So this is a very active discussion in the, in the world of animal biotechnology right now. How do we, as a, as a group, who believe in the potential of this technology for you know, increasing, you know, food production, which we all know that we're going to need mm-hmm. <laughs> over the next 50 years. Um, you know, we all believe in it. So how can we work together? And, and I don't think anybody's got, you know, the silver bullet answer yet, but it's a matter of, you know, scientists going out and communicating and telling their stories and not all scientists are great at it. Um, and we need to get better at that. And I think mm-hmm. within the scientific community, we know that. Um, so there's a lot of discussion about how to do that and, and how to reach, the end consumer, but I think you know the folks that we need to enroll in the conversation are the regulatory groups, right? Because mm-hmm. you know this is the the general public counts on you know the regulatory agencies to to make sure that the food that is on the market is safe for them mm-hmm. to consume, and and so I think you know enrolling the regulatory agencies is is going to be a great first mm-hmm. step, and having them on board and having them explain what we're trying to explain um, will, will help a lot. So the road now is to like uh, address the regulatory uh, people, right? So that's, or like, I don't want to say the short path to it because going both ways, like uh, raising awareness to the public uh, and to the uh, regulatory uh, people, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, it's not one or the other. It's, you know, you're going to need multiple, you know, arrows in your quiver, mm-hmm. as they say. And, you know, we need to enroll the producers, the regulatory agencies, and then, you know, as much as we can, you know, enroll the public. And I think, you know, one of the silver linings of COVID, of course, is that we 
you know, used nucleic acid technology and, um, you know, biotechnology to, you know, produce effective vaccines against COVID. Mm-hmm. And now, a lot, you know, the public has a much greater knowledge about how this technology works now than they did, you know, before COVID. So I'm not saying that, you know, all the fear has been removed yeah. <laughs> of, you know, nucleic acid technologies, but, you know, there's a little bit more awareness, I think, out there mm-hmm. than there was before. And so that's, I think that's going to be helpful. I don't know how helpful, but, you know, I think that that's been, yeah. it's another positive of COVID if, you, if you're looking for it. Mm-hmm. And speaking of which, uh, now a common challenge that aquaculture industry is having is dispelling environmental groups that are against uh, fish farming in general. What do you think the Center for Aquaculture Technologies is doing to address that issue? Yeah, you know, I, this is just my opinion on this, but I mean, I think on any given topic, you know, you're going to have, you know, polarized views. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. And there are people out there who, you know, it's, they make a living <laughs> opposing things. And, you know, there's just some people you're never going to change your mind, their minds. Um, you know, where I tend to focus my energy is on the undecideds, <laughs> you know, you know, preaching to the choir at a meeting here, right? You know, everybody's on board with aquaculture. Mm-hmm. We all believe that it's, um, you know, critical for food production in the future. You won't find too many people here who would disagree with you on that point. So, you know, it's the people in the middle that, you know, we need to reach. And from our perspective, you know, we started this organization with the intention of helping, you know, helping support bringing innovative new technologies to the aquaculture market. So there's no doubt there's plenty of historical evidence, you know, we have we've had the green revolution, now we're in the middle of the blue revolution and how we bring technology to the industry to improve productivity, to improve sustainability. You know, that that is our reason for being and that's what gets us up in the morning every day is you know we have projects and partners that we work with who are all aligned in that mm-hmm. philosophy um, and so it's just you know brings us so much you know joy and satisfaction when we can see you know a partner of ours who's developed a new product that we've helped you know support research in is now in the market it's now being used and you know that is why we started the organization you know 10 years ago and We've just had the opportunity to see that over and over again. You know, when the resources are there, the skill sets are there, you know, the innovative um, culture is there, um, and the willingness to think outside the box about how things have been done in the past and how we might do them differently, better, um, using the tools that are, you know, every day we have more tools in our toolbox that we can mm-hmm. use to, to bring new technologies to market. And, and so, you know, that's that is how we feel that we contribute. Mm -hmm. So if we can help our partners who are all along the aquaculture supply chain from producers to feed companies to health companies develop their and get their products to market faster that are, you know, every day, you know, improving how we do aquaculture and how we grow, you know, fish and plants and shellfish for food, that's the way that we contribute. Mm-hmm. to addressing those concerns. But I mean, you know, like I say, uh, there's always going to be a polarized group for whom you will never change their mind. And really, we should, in my opinion, you know, the energy should be focused on the undecideds and what are they undecided about and how can we, mm-hmm. you know, help with the education or, or help, you know, provide better animal welfare or, you know, better environmental mm-hmm. sustainability, those kinds of things. So focus on 
who wants to actually learn. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's get to know you a little bit more. Can you talk to me about your day to day as vice president? What do you do at the Center for Aquaculture Technologies? Yep. So, you know, since we started the organization, I've held a variety of hats and currently I sit in business development. And I really like that spot because what I really enjoy most about my job, I guess, on a day to day basis is, you know, most of the time I'm engaging with our clients, existing clients, potential new clients. Um, And what I really enjoy about it is, you know, having the conversations with them, learning about what their challenges are, thinking about the great team that we have and how, you know, who's the right person to connect them with to to help, you know, resolve that issue or potentially provide a solution for whatever the challenge is that the client's facing. And so, you know, that's the best part of the job for me. Um, And so I spend most of my day in those kinds of conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also, you know, fortunate to have a, a small team that I work with in, you know, developing new products or services. You know, what is what is missing out there in the market right now that you know we're seeing some demand for um, and thinking about what's the most cost-effective way to do that because if it's cost-effective for us we can make it cost-effective for the client especially in the field of genetics generally it's felt that you know implementing a genetic improvement program is very expensive i can't afford it um, you know genotyping is expensive consulting is expensive and you know when you're a producer you, know, you already have you know, relatively, depending on your species, maybe pretty small margins, you know, how can I justify the expense of doing that? So what we really spend a lot of time thinking about, first of all, is, you know, what's the most appropriate solution for a client, particularly in the genetic space, because there's, you know, we always use an analogy of, you know, cars, (laughs) you know, you can go at like a Ford Focus level, (laughs) or you can be at the Lamborghini level. Mm -hmm. And no matter what level you're at, you know, you can still make genetic progress, for example. And so, you know, oftentimes clients come and they say, well, I want to drive the Lamborghini. <laughs> and you have to say, well, you know, maybe you don't have the infrastructure for that or you don't have the budget for that or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is, but here's something that we can propose in the middle. So, you know, we spend a lot of time doing that. And, you know, that's what I, I also think is a good differentiator for us and what we enjoy doing because... What we want to have happen is for the technology to be adopted and for it to stick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you start driving the Lamborghini and pretty soon you understand, you're like, I can barely afford it. I can't afford to maintain my Lamborghini. Mm-hmm. Really probably should have started somewhere closer to the Ford mm-hmm. Focus end or something like that and, and grow with it. So, you know, that's what we're out there to do. And um, that's what I really enjoy about our interactions with the clients. So that's my probably my favorite part of the job. But that's what I do, spend most of my day doing is talking to clients, making sure the projects are going well. You know, trying to identify new ones. And then simultaneously, you know, we're looking for partnerships that are going to be beneficial for us, you know, collaborating with other organizations. So, for example, you know, we have a really great collaboration with Neogen, who's a, you know, big, one of the, the biggest agriculture genotyper in the world. So, you know, that's been such a great experience for us because it's enabled us to, you know, expand our reach globally and offer much more competitive um, prices. Um, which makes it easier, again, for, you know, people in aquaculture, you know, they, you know, what they can afford is much different from what a beef producer can afford. So, you know, we, you know, bring that expertise in aquaculture, they bring, you know, this, um, you know, high throughput processing capability, and just experience of the biggest genotyper, agricultural genotyper in the world. So, 
you know, that's been a great partnership. So we're, you know, we look for things like that. Um, and then, you know, like I said, the big project right now is, you know, trying to, to, to launch and commercialize this genome editing technology. So those are sort of, you know, the three pieces that I work in pretty routinely. So that means you don't get to be as hands-on as we all picture as a scientist you're always in a <laughs> <Yeah>. lab <laughs> yeah I haven't been a scientist in a while and in fact they they tend to get a little bit nervous when I walk into the lab now oh. <laughs> so don't touch anything <laughs> no but way. you know I, I think one of the things that um I guess it blew my own horn here for the minute but I think you know being a scientist in this role has been helpful um because at the end of the day what we're doing is we're selling science to scientists and mm -hmm. having um, someone who's got a great background in science but also is curious and cares about what the client's trying to achieve I think that combination is really great for this role and that's what I look for when we're looking to add new people into business development or, or sales in our organization that's what we look for you've got a technical background enough that you can have a conversation understanding what the clients are trying to achieve communicating it back to our team members in a way that they can understand and say, yes, we can do that. No, we could do that, but we need to do this. So, you know, that's what we really need. And, you know, keeping an eye all the time on what the, it is that the client wants to do. Because in science, science can lead you down a number of rabbit holes always, mm -hmm. right? And so keeping your eye on the ball of what it is that the client's trying to achieve is also very important. So having that kind of commercial understanding of what's important on the client's side is, is key. And so I think I've been able to use my scientific background in a way that enables me to do that without you know having to get down into the weeds of actually doing the science because we've got I've got people on my team that are much better <laughs> at that than I am and it's been really rewarding for me as we've built the company to see those scientists come in and really you know they're some of the best scientists at what they do um, in aquaculture and so that's also been really rewarding for me personally to you know, see those people come in develop get the exposure to all these interesting projects, you know, stretch their wings, so to speak, <laughs> and, and, and stretch themselves in terms of, you know, what they thought they were going to be able to do in their careers. It's just been really fun. Do you ever get to visit sites or, like, where these technologies are being developed, that kind of thing? Or? Yeah, I mean, occasionally we will go and visit clients, but it's, you know, not as hands-on as, you know, say our breeding scientists, for example, who yeah. their job is to actually go out and go to the farms and, and work in the hatcheries and, and assist you know, the, the producers or the genetics companies or whoever they happen to be in actually rolling out the plans that we build for them. So occasionally do, but most often I, you'll find me at events like this, mm -hmm. interacting with um, our clients, and that's generally where I'll, I'll tend to be found most often. That's great. Did you have mentors as you started out in the industry? Absolutely. You know, I think I've always been the kind of person who despite the amount of talking that I'm doing right now, <laughs> listens more than I talk. Um, so I've always been, you know, looking around, maybe not even formal mentorship necessarily, although I do have that as well. But, you know, looking around and, and looking at the, the team members that I've had, the, the colleagues, the, the, my grad, you know, my fellow grad students, you know, what are they doing that is successful, that makes them successful? How can I add that into my portfolio. But in addition to that, of course, I've had you know, mentors. And one of the great things about starting at a small company, and I've always been in small companies from you know, first day with Aquabounty to first day with Cat, you have such a great opportunity to wear a lot of hats, try out a bunch of different types of roles, 
Um, and also if you work hard and you're diligent and you are engaged, you can move up mm-hmm. pretty quickly. So, you know, that's what I like about working in small companies. Small and companies. I've never really considered, you know, working in a gigantic company. And it's funny because I used to think mm-hmm. I would be one, one, but, um, I, I just, I don't think that that's where I would do well because I want to, I like being able to dabble in a few different things and, yeah. and contribute in a few different areas where I can, but still, you know, like to be able to work hard and succeed and, and, and look at what the next opportunity might bring. Yeah. And do you still have mentors in your current role? Absolutely, I do. I mean, one of the interesting things about starting in a small company that then becomes larger is that you do start to need to dev- differentiate yourself into a specific role a little bit. And you have more people join the company, which means you need more leadership, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things we're not good in academia and in science is, is teaching people leadership skills. Um, leadership skills, business skills, we, we don't learn those things in university necessarily. So as scientists, so for me, that's an area that I'm focused on a lot is learning how to lead others. So I, you know, I know what works for me and what makes me successful, but helping others to do that and to achieve their potential you know, is, is an area that I am working on at the moment. And, um, so to have mentees, to have mentees, that's <laughs> correct. So, you know, yeah. whether they are your direct directly reporting into you or just others in the organization who are, you know, may not, unbeknownst to you, maybe watching you and what you're doing and how you, you know, show up every day, um, is important. And that's what I, am spending a lot of time in my own personal development thinking about now. Yeah, that's that's very interesting because um, sitting down with many women in different sectors in the industry, when I ask them the, this question, they all tend to say that uh, going back uh, in the beginning of their career, uh, they would have liked to have a woman mentor, like a female mentor. It, it could have helped them like realize a lot of things early on. Um, so that's why they always focus on like trying to develop the, this ment- uh, a lot of mentorship skills so they can uh, help females starting in the industry. What excites you about your future in this sector of the industry? So one of the things I guess I love about aquaculture, I always, when I'm talking to non-aquaculture people, I say it's a bit like the Wild West. Um, you never, there's just so much interesting work to be done and you know, the, the business of aquaculture, I'm just starting to learn a little bit more now. And it's just the opportunities that are there, you know, at the, at the high, you know, 30,000 foot level, you know, feed the world, <laughs> as they say, um, is, you know, the, the difference that we're all here to make. But, you know, beyond that, I think there's just, you know, so much growth. And like I say, you know, what gets us up every day is, is going out and seeing the, the products that we're working with our partners on, you know, ending up in the industry, you know, receiving the feedback from our clients in genetics, for example, that they can see a difference. Genetic improvement is making a difference in their production. They're getting higher yields. They're seeing better survival. The fish or the shrimp are growing faster. And, you know, that, that data, it doesn't lie, right? That's, that's what we're there to generate. And sometimes it takes time <laughs> to see. And so it's always so gratifying when you know you've made the case that look you know you need to use genetics um, you need to monitor your genetics at the very least Um, but you know genetic improvement is real and will help you you know increase your revenue lower your environmental footprint um, you know all of those things that everyone's out there to achieve 
you know, that's, that's the most rewarding part of the job to me. So I look forward to continuing to, to see that um, and to continue to see the adaptation of that. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of interest right now in, in food security and local food production. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, looking to see how that is accomplished, um, depending on where you live in the world, you know, really exciting projects um, in Africa, in the Middle East, in, in places that, you know, in, in North America, I mean, let's face it, we don't really know yet <laughs> what food insecurity feels like. Um, but these are places of the world and we have, have clients and partners there that are, you know, have projects that are there to actually, you know, feed the bulk of the population <laughs> and, and to develop food security for the regions. And, you know, I'm really excited about some of those projects as well. We're at the event now. I didn't ask you, uh, <laughs> how are you finding the event? Oh, it's been great. I mean, look, it's uh, two years or <laughs> three years. <laughs> it's taken three years to put this meeting on. And, you know, we've been looking forward to it for, you know, all of that time. I'm really glad to see the turnout. I'm glad to see a lot of my colleagues for the first time in person. Then, you know, three years, two and a half years, something like that, since we've we've seen each other in person. And, you know, we've done well, I think, you know, replacing those in-person interactions with our virtual interactions. But um, we've been able to get things done and projects have progressed. But I think everyone would agree there's there's no replacement for sitting down with someone and having a coffee or, you know, going out for lunch. And, you know, you just have the time to, you know, reopen those relationships and ask, how are your kids doing? And how is your wife? And, yeah. you know, <laughs> what are your plans for your next projects? You just, you know, you have a one hour Zoom call. There's only so much ground you can explore. And I think it's just been great to see our colleagues and Every time we go to a meeting, you just get re-energized about yeah. the possibilities in the industry. People are zoomed out at this moment. Everyone just <laughs> misses, you know, yeah. being in person and being yeah. able to talk face to face. Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, being here in Newfoundland, which is really, you know, one of the regions in Canada that is embracing aquaculture. You know, there's a lot of support um, provincially and and from the community. You know, I was talking with a cabbie that brought me <laughs> to the hotel and he's like, do you know that we have salmon aquaculture here in Newfoundland? And I oh. said, I do know that. <laughs> and so, you know, there's clearly an awareness of mm-hmm. it and the importance of the industry, which you don't find that everywhere that you go. So, you know, it's been great to have it here in Newfoundland. People are wonderful, very welcoming yeah. and, you know, great atmosphere. So very, very much. I love Newfoundland. It's my first time here, and I, I was already thinking about like I should move here. <laughs> I really like it here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, we're gonna end with some quick fire questions, and the first one is: What is the best advice you ever received? Hmm. I think the best re- advice I've ever received is going to sound like a strange one, maybe, but I think one of the things that I've struggled with, um, and it's it's just because um, I'm a bit of an introvert and I am who I am, but you know, just really um, in your interactions with other humans, you know, we have a tendency, I think, to read a lot into your church try and extrapolate <laughs> on meaning of, you know, the conversations that you've had with someone and being in a, you know, what essentially comes down to a sales role in a lot of cases, you know, is, is really about, you know, the importance of building a relationship with someone um, and, you know, using your most reasonable interpretation of, you know, their comments and, and, and their interactions with you. And, um, you know, for me, that's, you know, what I've had to work at the most throughout my career is, you know, I used to come to conferences and then be terrified to talk to anybody. And now, you know, I'm, I'm just happy to 
be curious, right? Be curious, not judgmental, as Ted Lasso would say. You just walk up to someone and, you know, try and learn about what they're doing. And, and building a network now is something that I look forward to rather than something that I'm, you know, in grad school I would have been afraid to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that's probably one of the most important pieces. I think you've achieved your goal. Here you are sitting with me yeah. doing the podcast. It's true, it's true. <laughs> yeah. All right. And the second question is, what advice would you give to your younger self? Yeah, I've been thinking about that a little bit. And I think, you know, looking back again and growing up, you know, I, I, I count my parents amongst my mentors. But, you know, they always encouraged us to, you know, reach for our potential and, 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 and reach your potential. And, you know, I still, again, was a little bit hesitant. Like I used to say things, I used to just keep doors closed. Like I used to say, I'm never going to move to the United States. I love Canada and I do love Canada and I love being Canadian. But now I live and I'm based in, in San Diego and I do sometimes look back and wonder what opportunities I might have missed because I was sort of closed off to different ideas. And so, you know, now what I try to do is look for possibilities and you'll see the button on my bag it says I'm an ambassador of possibilities I'm always trying to look for not always to see the negative in the situation or the way things that can go wrong but you know maybe that didn't go the way that I wanted but what possibilities could I think of that could come out of this I didn't get that that client on this particular project but what other possibilities might we have to talk to them down the road you know no doors are ever closed so I think that that is something that if I was advising my younger self or even if I was advising a young person that I would meet today, I would say, your horizon is bigger <laughs> than you think. So keep the doors open. <laughs> This is a very good advice to keep in mind for everyone, like even and mostly young people starting out in the industry. All right, my last question. Uh, I'm just I'm gonna make an exception and skip it for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which was the your favorite fish punner joke? Mm -hmm. But uh, guys, we're sorry. Uh, You'll have to track me down and ask me in person. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Think about it. If you ever have a favorite fish punner joke, just email me and I'll post it. <laughs> well done. Well done. Thank you very much, Debbie, for joining me today on this podcast. Uh, I had so much fun getting to meet you in person and do this interview. And I hope to see you again soon. Yeah, absolutely. It was great. Thanks so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And another episode in the books. As always, our show notes with links, photos, and more extras can be found on our website, aquaculturenorthamerica.com women. If you want to support this podcast, please share this with everyone in your network and all the social media channels you want. And please join us in thanking our program sponsor, Merck Animal Health. Together, we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species. And I really mean it. Without Merck, this women's program would not exist. And if you want to help support us, please let them know and tell them that you want to see this program keep going. We want to continue bringing more of these stories and one year is not enough time. Thank you everyone for listening and I hope to see you soon.